0: Well, good morning. Good morning. 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 My name is John Hume, discipleship pastor here at Dunwoody Baptist Church, and it's my joy as we talk about joy today to be here. Um, Would you thank our worship leaders for leading us in a time, the beautiful opportunity we have that they lead us to a point where we're ready to encounter God's word and his truth um, as we speak this morning. So I have several questions for you today that I invite you to answer even out loud. Will you do that for me? Great, thank you, thank you, thank you, sure. When you wake up in the morning, are you an angel or a grouch? How many would say they're an angel? How many would say they're a grouch? How many want to debate with the people sitting around them, right, that they're uh, one or the other? You know, the book of Philippians, um, it says the word joy 20 times. And it's a reminder for us in our life that we need to live a life that's characterized by joy and rejoicing. Jeff led us last week. He started in uh, chapter 16 of Acts where Paul planted this church in Philippi in about AD 51. And about 10 years later in AD 61, he wrote this letter to the Philippians and he wrote it when he was in jail. And I'll be honest, uh, I think Paul realized that he may never see these people again. And he's writing a letter to them, just encouraging them and telling them some things that they need to know and they need to understand. A letter that's centered and surrounded by joy. The church of Philippi, it was mostly Gentiles, Women played a significant role in this church. The church was generous, and they remained intensely loyal to Paul. And it's a reminder for us that no matter what happens in our life, we have reason to rejoice because we know as believers that our future is going to be with Jesus in heaven. And this morning, as the the worship leaders led us, I'm thinking through the scripture that we're getting ready to read And and as we read this today, I believe that some of those songs are going to continue just to resonate in your heart and in your mind this morning. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 12 through 18 today. And I invite you to read these together with me. Therefore, my dear friends... Just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, holding firm to the word of life then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you in the same way. You should also be glad and rejoice with me. Father, as we look at your word and encounter your word today, I pray as as Brian already so beautifully said, that your Holy Spirit will speak to each of us And no matter what we're feeling right now or what we've come through this week, that we're here ready to hear from you. And not just hear from you, but ready to respond to what you're telling us to do. So, Father, I pray that you give us the courage, the wisdom to do whatever you're calling us to do this morning. It's in the great name of your son, Jesus, we ask it all. Amen. As we look at the beginning of this, we're going to break this down, and we're going to look at verses 12 and 13 to begin with. And as we start, I believe that Paul is telling these people to work out. He says, therefore, starts this passage with therefore. The beautiful hymn that comes before this in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It ends with that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as a result of that, because of all that, we therefore, dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Paul is commending them for obeying Jesus consistently. Whether he's with them or whether he's gone from them, he's commending them for being obedient and following Christ. For us, this is a good pattern of making disciples that we encourage people, that we exhort or we strongly encourage and urge someone to do something. Thank you for being faithful to follow Jesus. When When I'm with you, you're following Jesus. When I'm apart from you, I still know that you're following Jesus. I commend you and I thank you for that to live as Christians, the Philippians understood that they had to have an attitude of obedience, not an attitude of obeying Paul, but an attitude of obeying God. Paul also says this in Thessalonians. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, Do this even more. It's another phrase that Paul gives to another group, but I believe it just kind of echoed here with the Philippians. I know that you're obeying God. I know that you're doing things. I I see that. And I'm asking you to do this even more in our life. Wherever we are, we need just to press on and obey more and more and do that with great joy. Well, after he commends them, He commands them to work out their own salvation with fear and with trembling. Not work for our salvation, but work out our salvation. God has worked salvation for us by his sovereign grace alone. We don't coast on this Christian journey. So we work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. Work out our salvation. I believe that just simply means to follow the example of Christ. We're not left alone and on our own power to live a life of obedience. We can work out our salvation because God is at work in us. He's shown us what humble, other-focused, God-glorifying obedience looks like. We see it in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 of Philippians 2. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited instead. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the life that he calls us to live as believers, a life of obedience, long obedience in the same direction. He commends them, he commands them, and he calls them. I wish there was a magic pill. I wish there was a formula we could, we could just take that all of a sudden, boom, our life was just perfect and we were a great Christian. I I like basketball. I'm from the great commonwealth of Kentucky. All right. That's where I grew up. Seems like every driveway or on a barn, there was a basketball goal. I wasn't very good at basketball, but I liked playing. And I thought maybe I would start playing at noon here in the sports center. So in order to play at noon in the sports center, I need to get a new pair of Air Jordans because if I had Air Jordans, I would play better at basketball, right? Right? Thank you. Somebody said yes. I'm right with you, right? No, it's not going to happen. I'm still going to be the bad player that's on the post that fouls a lot and can never make free throws, okay? But I'll be the guy that plays on the post that fouls a lot and can never make free throws, but I'll have some pretty sweet shoes, right? those new shoes are not going to let me play basketball better. Just like in our Christian life, it's a day-to-day obedience that every day we're following Christ, that every day we're living life just to be a little more like Jesus today. I'm just living my life to become more like Christ. Our salvation is sudden, but the working out of it in our life is not sudden. And it's this day-to-day long obedience in the same direction. As we follow God, I read this story of a guy named Daryl Bell. Quoted this in a, a book, Practical Implications of Consecration. And here's the story: Fred Craddock, a name some of you know, Fred Craddock once said, "To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, as to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory." We think that giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill, laying it on the table, and saying, Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all to you. But the reality for most of us is that He sends us to the bank and has us cash in that $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there listening to the neighbor kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost, going to a committee meeting, giving a cup of cold water to a shaky older man in a nursing home. Usually, giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easier to go out in a flash of glory, but it's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul As we work out our salvation, God is working in us. And it's a daily, day-to-day obedience in following him. Again, not working for our salvation, but working out that salvation. Even in the context of the local church, as we gather together, as we encourage each other, as we build each other up, we're working to become more like Christ Tony Marita, pastor of North Carolina, says this, in the presence of a great and awesome God, let us work out our salvation. So following this heavy command of working out our salvation, Paul brings comfort. I think this is just beautiful. Verse 13, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his purpose. Paul reminds us that it is God working in you. God is working in us at the deepest levels. God is working in us to bring salvation to completion. Philippians chapter one tells us this, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, underneath our work is God working. We are not alone. God is at work in you accomplishing his good purposes in and through you. So another question for us today. Is this working out God's work or your work? Is it God's work or is it your work? I think it's a a pretty easy question because we realize that as we are working, God is working in us. But I think if many of us were honest, we know that it needs to be God working, but so often we take it over and we just want to do it ourselves. We just want to work on our own and we're just going to take care of it and I'm just going to do it. And and God, if you want to join me, that's okay, but I'm going to work at it on my own. It's God working in us. It's God working through us. Again, working out our salvation, not working for. Well, then in verse 14 through 16, he's encouraging us to shine. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now we can just set on that verse for a minute. I was really hoping that Greek word for everything meant everything that I agree with. Or everything as long as it's done the way that I want it done. But that word everything means everything. Do everything in our life without grumbling or complaining. The temptation to complain is not just a personal temptation. I believe it's a corporate one as well. The Philippian church had some internal strife, and with internal strife comes external pressure. We're tempted to complain. The question is not, will you be tempted to complain because you will? Unfortunately, this is a common language in our culture. We live in a world of complainers. And as I was thinking through this, I remember um, growing up, going to a mall, and they had this big funnel, looked like a funnel, and you would put a coin in a ramp, and the coin would go around, and it would just get faster and faster and faster and faster and drop. Anybody kind of familiar, you understand what, you remember these? I find myself often complaining And then I like it when I get other people around me that want to complain about the same thing, right? And it just gets like this funnel, just going faster and faster, and and sometimes just almost violent going down where I get in this mix and I can't get out. And Paul tells us to live a life without arguing or complaining. We need to live a life that we strive for joy, that we consider what we deserve in life, and we realize what we've been given and that should keep us from complaining. Let our speech be filled with gratitude and grace as we hold on to the word of life to a dark world. Verse 27 in chapter 1 says just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. To live a life that is not centered and characterized by complaining and arguing. Why? Verse 15 so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Do everything without arguing or complaining so that we can shine. Even with our imperfections, we're a light to a world that's filled with darkness. The New American Commentary says that by their lives... The Philippians were holding fast to the gospel. By doing, their lives also became the measuring rod of the world around them. Just imagine this. If we lived our life shining for Christ, not arguing and complaining as our culture is tempted to do, but we lived our life shining, that people looked at us. And they would think, oh, my goodness, they're living life different. There's something about their life that's different than mine. They're shining, and they're drawn to us. And because they're drawn to us, we have an opportunity to tell them about the great message of Christ, that we become the measuring rod of the world around us and not the measuring rod of just complaining and arguing. I would love nothing more than begin to see every seat in this place filled Not so that we could have a big church, but we could have every seat filled that people are constantly hearing the gospel. They're constantly understanding what it means to follow Christ. And we're not just trying to build a great church. We're building a group of people who have faith and constant faith in following God in every aspect of their life. That we can live a life not characterized by complaining or arguing, but we're living a life that we're ready to shine. Again, the New American Commentary would say this, whether he was released from prison, this is talking about Paul, whether he was released from prison or died a martyr's death, he was confident the Lord had called him into ministry on behalf of the Philippians and not even the prospect of death could diminish his joy. A little bit earlier, he talked about how that we can live as lights or shining stars in a crooked and perverted generation. This is almost a direct quote to Moses talking to the people in his last farewell address. And I have to wonder if Paul, knowing that, if Paul realized that this might be the last time that I'm gonna to talk to the Philippians. And because it's the last time I'm gonna to talk to the Philippians, I want them to know some specific things. I want them to know that I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they've been following out of obedience whether I'm with them or not. I want to encourage them to work out their salvation. I want them to live a life of joy. I want them to live a life that's just not complaining and arguing, but that's shining like a beautiful star in a world of darkness. Again, an easy question for us, but do you want to be known as a complainer? Or one who shines like the stars? Now, again, I'll admit that on the surface, these are easy questions. Because we know in this that we want to be one that shines like stars, correct? But how many of us, if we're honest, recognize that really our life is just centered around complaining? Complaining. Let me do a quick aside. I'm not saying that, I've been here for four or five months now. I don't see, like, I'm not saying that we're a church that just stands around complaining. I am not saying that. Hear me real clear say that. But I do know in our culture, in our society, that that's just an easy place to go, to just complain and argue and not shine like stars. So let's be people who shine like stars. And then in these last couple of verses, an image that Paul uses often is running or enduring. But this is sacrifice. Verse 17 tells us, but even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Paul is willing to give his own life for the sake of the gospel. Just as wine was poured out in ancient sacrificial ceremonies, Paul is happy to pour out his life for the advancement of the gospel. Just as Christ emptied himself, Paul is glad to pour himself out for the glory of God. He's a willing and glad offering. The sacrifice that the people were making was primary. The offering was secondary. Their gift that he talked about with the Philippians is the primary matter. His circumstance is secondary. This shows us the humility of Paul, that Paul is leading by example. And I can't help but wonder if Paul is thinking about Stephen when he was stoned in the book of Acts. Paul, at that point, his name was Saul, went by Saul. It says in Acts that he was standing there holding the cloaks of the men who were stoning Stephen. He was giving approval to his death. And he heard what Stephen said as he looked up to heaven. And then a few chapters later, Paul is breathing out, or Saul is breathing out murderous threats to the Christian. He's walking down the road to Damascus, and Jesus Christ dramatically and wonderfully enters his life and changes his life on that road. And Paul now has a different trajectory of life. Now, Pastor Allen would remind us to live life out of the front windshield and not the rearview mirror. But in chapter 3, we're going to read, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. And I can't wonder if Paul was just thinking about these things in his life, thinking about Stephen, thinking about these people who had given their life for Christ, and he was saying, you know what? Listen, people of Philippians. Listen, people at Dunwoody Baptist Church. I am ready to give my life, whatever it looks like, for the glory of God. Whatever I need to do, I'm ready to give every part of my life for God. And because of that, I want you to rejoice with me. In this sacrifice, we're called to rejoice. And then he ends by saying in verse 18, in the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. The layman's Bible book commentary says about this passage, that the authorities that Paul was in prison, the authorities might think that they had taken Paul's life. Unwittingly, they would be serving as priests at God's altar. They could not take Paul's life, for he had previously offered it up to God. Paul, leading by example, was ready to give his life for Christ. No matter what that looked like, he was ready to give, even if that meant death, he was ready. To give his life for Christ. And we should rejoice in that. See, I I believe that Jesus is the ultimate example of this. We see this early on in chapter 2. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee will bow. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. We were just led in that. That at the beautiful name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. Jesus will bring to completion what he began. In Jesus and through Jesus, we're doing better than we deserve. So we need to root our joy, root our hearts, have a heart filled with joy for Jesus. Paul was not discouraged about his circumstances, he had joy. But you might be sitting here this morning and and you think, I don't have joy. You don't know the circumstances in my life. I'm discouraged. I don't feel like I can rejoice. I know what it says. I just read those words, and I know what all those words mean put together. But in my life right now, I just don't have joy. I have discouragement, and I can't rejoice. You might be living your life now characterized by grumbling and complaining. That might be just a characterization of you right now. And you realize, I want to get out of this that's just my life right now and i just need jesus to help me get out of this or even from the very beginning to work out your salvation that might make zero sense to you because even the word salvation doesn't make sense to you you don't have a relationship with jesus you don't even know what that looks like let me tell you this and we would love to talk to you about a relationship with christ but as we, read the, the, as we read God's word and recognize what it says, from the very beginning of Genesis chapter one and two, we recognize that God created us to be with him. That God created all of us so that we could be with him. But we get to the third chapter really soon in the book that we recognize that our sin separates us from God. That the way God wants us to live, the standard that he sets for us, right, we don't live up to that, and that is sin, and that sin separates us from God. He wanted us to live with him, but our sin separates us from God. And as we continue to read through the Old Testament, the beginning of Scripture, we recognize that sin cannot be removed by good deeds. Have any of you ever cleaned your room, and you thought you did a good job, and then your parents go in your room and think, did you ever... Go in your room to see if you cleaned it. Right? Parents, does it make sense to you? Like, Your standard of good is different than their standard of good. When I load the dishwasher at home, I think I've done a great job. Paige comes in and somehow gets like 50 more items in the dishwasher. I don't understand how she does it. What I think is good is not her. What, what she knows is good. But in life, we need a standard of what's good. And God, who created everything, God, who's the ruler of everything, tells us what's good. And in our own life and in our own power, our sin cannot be removed by our good deeds. But as we get to the New Testament, as we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we recognize that paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. We celebrate this at Easter, that paying the price for our sin Jesus gave his life, a perfect life, is a perfect sacrifice for us. And then we recognize that everyone who trusts in him alone will have eternal life. Everyone who trusts in him alone will have eternal life. And that life eternal starts now, it's not a someday thing. The life eternal starts now and lasts forever. That's the gospel. That God created us to be with him. That our sin separates us from God. That we can't do anything good because our sin cannot be removed by good deeds. But praise the Lord that paying the price for our sin, Jesus Christ died and rose again. And that everyone who trusts in him alone will have eternal life. And that life eternal starts now and lasts forever. So today, today, as we, as we just think, okay, God, what are you speaking to us about today? Some of you need to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ for the first time, and we want to talk to you about that. Some of you might be wrestling with, what does it mean to work out my salvation? I, I just constantly think I need to work for my salvation. What does it mean to work it out? What does it mean to live a life that's characterized by being a shining light to the world, and not just grouchy and complaining all the time. Maybe you need help with that in your life. Maybe you recognize that even in the circumstances of your life, they're tough right now and it's hard right now. Then I need to live a life of understanding what Jesus has done for me. And I need to live a life that's characterized by rejoicing even in the midst of my suffering. Whatever God is speaking to you about today, We're gonna be around to talk to you. I'll be in the lobby right after the service. You can find someone in a green shirt or you can find someone that's around you right now. But I would encourage you to do this. Whatever God is talking to you about today, don't leave this campus until you get it worked out because it's too easy once you get out the door and in your car to be thinking, I'm going to lunch or I'm doing this or I'm doing this. And then we get away from what God is calling us to do and it's easy then to not do anything. We want to help you grow. We want to help you work out. We want to help you shine. And we want to help you rejoice. So today, I want to lead us in a prayer all together this morning. I want to lead us in these words. And I want us to say this together out loud today. And as we're led by our worship leaders, let God continue to speak to you. And again, don't leave here until you work out things with God today. Would you say this with me this morning? God, help me live for you day by day. As we work out our salvation, help us recognize that you are at work in us. Please help us be a shining witness to a dark world by not grumbling. And help us rejoice through sacrificial service. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for giving us an opportunity to respond to you. And we thank you for giving us an opportunity to live for you in every aspect of our life day by day this week. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for everything. It's in your great, mighty, and wonderful name we pray it all. Amen.